Welcome to the Wish Day Podcast. In this episode, you'll notice something slightly different. It is that I am not interviewing. It is actually going to be interviewed. Or the interviewee is Andrew Curley, and he will be interviewing Alistair. In this episode, they talk about Alistair's experience covering the Bears Ears movement. This will set the precedent of me allowing um, certain interviews to be contributed to the Wish Day Podcast, so it's not just going to be me. I expect other interviewees to submit things talking about different subjects that are very important. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So how are you doing today? Are we on the interview now? Yes. We're on record. We're put on record. I'm good, thank you. Coffee is good. I'm going to take a sip of this milk. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm with Alistair Bitsui. We're in Santa Fe, New Mexico, in the lovely King Residence, Mm -hmm. where my wife is currently doing a residency Yes. Through the School of Advanced Research, and we randomly ran into each other. Not randomly. We coordinated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, and we both happened to be in Santa Fe, and so we decided to talk about our experiences on the reservation since we've known each other for a while and have kind of an interesting conversation about it. Like 10 years now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over 10 years. Yeah, because I met you in 2007. Mm-hmm. Office on the reservation can't know that he's been to a mall, mm. especially in Utah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we we uh, we met each other in two thousand seven, working at the Nate College, the Dene Policy Institute, and um, and since then I have finished my program in sociology, and you finish well, you you finished uh, a program in public health, and, mm-hmm. are, and are continuing that journey through public 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 health and public advocacy. Yeah, and I don't know about the word public lands, but ancestral territories. Oh, continue, sorry. No, I guess um, I've learned in public lands work, but public lands that are ancestrally territories of like tribes, at least in this work, bears ears. Yeah, yeah. So I've kind of learned like public lands is kind of a federal term yeah. that I guess is not culturally appropriate yeah. <laughs> when I think about it. Yeah, so what do you think about, so so public lands refers to the way Vilaganas exercise dominion mm-hmm. over the land, and then what we call it is what? How do we think about it? Well, since it's, no, it was, it's ancestral territory land, so it's pu- public lands from my understanding or through this line of work I've been in is like land that federal agencies like BLM and Forest Service manage mm-hmm. and um, it's open for public usage mm-hmm. um, but those lands were formerly lands of native 
nations. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's and Navajo. In the case of Bears Ears, um, it's ancestral territory of Dene, um, Hopi, Zuni, Ute, as well as the um, 19 Pueblos in New Mexico and probably other tribes of the mm-hmm. Southwest that trace um, lineage, creation narratives, or even have active cultural sites that they go up there for their ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And why is this uh, land important for them? Well, the whole Bears Ears proposal started at the grassroots level um, through Utah Denepikea. So it, it is Native American led. Um, that is the true narrative to Bears Ears. I think that's often forgotten that Bears Ears is created and evolved and has was created at the community level. Um, primarily at the beginning, initially through um, Dene people in southern Utah or the Dene in the Navajo, Utah portion of the Navajo Nation. Mm-hmm. And so those Bears Ears, like in, for Navajo at least, I, 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 I'm Dene so I can speak to them. And, excuse me. That's fine. Bears Ears is important to these tribes um, because it's land that belonged to the tribes that were taken from them. And it's hunting grounds, it's ceremonial grounds. Like Diné people, for instance, go up to a portion on in the Bears Ears National Monument called Cedar Mesa, and they harvest like um, wood, juniper wood, for um, either ceremonies or keeping them warm in the winter mm-hmm. feel. Um, they also harvest like berries there. Also, like they also develop. It's a region, I, I guess, a hospital or say, or more or less a hospital. That's where herbs also exist for medic- medicinal properties or ceremonies. Um, juniper, blueberry, or those beads are also harvested and used as ghost beads. So mm-hmm. kind of like artisan cradle boards are used, made there. Um, we- weaving. Um, like resources to weave baskets for for the tribes in the region exist. So cultural resources exist there, and also um, livestock ranchers own cattle there. Even native Ute people, and it is my understanding people have been in the native people, at least Navajo and Dene have been Dene and Ute have been there at least since the nineteen sixties. And so this, these are lands that if you go to Monument Valley or Southern Utah, you could see like it's canyon country. So they, they had access. If they need mountain wood or anything, they would go historically go up to those, those regions. I mean, I'm from New Mexico in San Juan County, mm-hmm. New Mexico. And so when I think of bear's ears, like the Chiscas are kind of my bear's ears. Like I, if I need to go firewood or hunting or run cattle or even as a summer camp, like camp there, like that's that was kind of the other home, summer homes, and so for those reasons, among many others, I mean, Bears Ears has like over a hundred archaeological sites. There's looting that happens among non-native people around the area, particularly in Blanding, Monticello, Utah, and they make those, um, they they turn those those artifacts into cash profits for themselves. So mm-hmm. that's also another reason, but the reason why Bears Ears was created was because the grassroots people in San Juan County 
wanted a seat at the table with the BLM and Forest Service and how they should protect this land or properly land manage it mm-hmm. um, with a Native American voice at the table. Because, of course, historically, tri- uh, the federal government has exploited, colonized, but also and took over these lands, and um, Native people have never been at the table. And so that's also another reason why Mo- the Bears Ears National Monument was created, um, so that the Native people could be a stakeholder. And um, I'm trying to figure out other things I have to say. So before it was a national yeah. monument, yeah. what was it? What was its status? It was just federal public land. They okay. call it. It's known as public land. Yeah. So it was just like BLM land, Forest Service land. People would need to like, for instance, they would need to um, get access pass uh-huh. to like get a permit to get wood, or they would need to like, especially or even to hunt. Um, so they never really had a say in like how it was more or less the, the non-native population that determined the status of how, what, what resources could be used. Mm -hmm. And, um, so they already had access already. They're already going up there, Mm -hmm. but with the creation of Bears Ears as National Monument, Native American led, it just puts them at the table. Like, well, we have, these sites should be take, like be protected for these reasons that are Diné or these reasons that are Hopi or these reasons mm-hmm. that are Zuni or Ute. So it was public land before with little regulation yeah. that people could do um, irresponsible things right. on it, not knowing the country. Most of these people are not from these areas mm-hmm. and they don't understand the history, mm-hmm. the, the significance of the sites. And they also don't even know the geography right. or the environment and can't maintain a sustainable living as we had for Correct. many generations before. So the bear, the National Monument, when was this created? What year do you remember? The, um, so Utah Diné Bekeya is it's a, it's a grassroots led and it, it consists of Diné and Ute mostly, staff and board. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of the makeup there is because it's specific it birthed out of San Juan County in mm-hmm. Utah. And so the grassroots people, um, you could say they informally already had nonprofits already because they already went up and down the mountain there. And so it wasn't until they realized like this land process or this, um, this movement began really through the public lands initiative, through the legislative arm of the American government. And mm-hmm it was congressional leaders that were like, well, we have these lands in Southern Utah that we can protect in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, in Southern Southern Utah that could, could be protected through the legislative process. But that avenue didn't work out. And I think it was in 2015, 2009 is when um, the data collection, the research and everything was happening. Um, of course, the tribes already had knowledge, but not formal mm-hmm. organization of that knowledge. But I think it was in 2009, 2010 is when UDB officially launched as a, a nonprofit. And then it was in 2015 that um, it could have, my internal sources say that it could have just been a Navajo-led mm-hmm. Bears Ears National Monument. But I think during that time, <laughs> the Navajo government was going through a 2014 presidential election. So that also impacted things. But at the same time, I felt like it was also discussed among the grassroots that like if for more leverage um, and given the history of the region, like the other tribes needed to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so that intertribal engagement um, 
resulted in the birth of the Bears Years in a Tribal Coalition in 2015. Yeah. And so that's where the political arm of the movement elected leaders from the Ute, Mountain Ute, the Ute Indian Tribe, Hopi Tribe, Pueblo of Zuni, and Navajo Nation. And those are the political names. I'm just saying they're political sovereign names that they use to engage um, at the federal government or any county, state levels. But they represented the Diné the peoples, Hopi, Zunis, and Ute peoples. And so like they, to engage with the Obama administration at the time, they had to form into that, mm-hmm. that collection of um, advocacy. And um, I was there, I, got, I was a reporter for the Navajo Times, so I was briefly aware of Bears Ears and just the network that I have. And um, in 2015, summer 2015, during the first annual Bears Ears Summer Gathering, I was tasked with Grand Canyon Trust and Utah Denefikea to write about the launch of Bears Ears, mm-hmm. um, not knowing that it was going to be the way it is now. But I had, I had very little idea about what I was about to do. But mm-hmm. I, I told about like the history of UDB, but also the history of why this was important. Because it, it allowed tribes of historical differences to put a, like, find common ground and yeah. advocate for land protection that they all see that is um, ancestrally theirs, but they, since it's not there, it's not considered reservation territory, and they have access to that or they have connections to it, they felt like engaging with the feds and being at a table would be the most, the best option for them to protect this area. So it's, we're stronger when we work together yeah. with the different, yeah. Yeah, there's more, there's more weight, there's different narratives and um, they're all, they're different, but they're also uniquely the same as well, just because they all tell the same story or they all share the same significance, but in different story, story different narratives. So growing up in Navajo, did you ever think about other tribes and mm. this kind of work? Yeah, well, like even I always used to, I think I just naturally, I don't know where it came from, but I knew that like wherever I traveled, that the land that was developed or that was considered a city was never like that ever. So I always, always thought of like who lived there first before this industrialization or this um, city or suburb like developed. I always kind of felt that like even going to DC, like I was just going, um, that was like one of my first city of experiences. Like I always wondered like, wow, this is a rich land. Yeah. Um, it's rich and green and lush. And I wonder how the tribes lived here. Like who lived here at the time? I didn't know, but like, I always wondered, like, I guess maybe that's kind of helped me in some regards. Like I knew that native land, most of America or all of America or the northern, like all old lands belong to indigenous people at, at some point. And I always kind of like enter a city or a territory with that mindset. Mm-hmm. And so it was easy to carry that thinking into this. this yeah, well, then I think fast forward several years later, now I'm doing, it's amazing that I'm doing this kind of work because it aligns with that earlier mindset I had, but also values and I feel like I've, of course, I met Andrew and <laughs> Moroni at the Net Policy Institute, and that's where I, my enlightenment period, I would say, began. Because before that, I guess, more or less, I probably would have been more Trumpish or more like, oh, just like, let's go to malls or like, just 
all about retail therapy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I shifted and I've become like aware of like who I truly am and how, what I should be. And that, of course, started with just embracing my identity, growing into the person that I am, my truth, and then learning how all of like at least the nest ceremonies and life ways are all connected to this worldview of like protecting. I don't know. People say Earth Mother or Mother Earth or Earth Mother. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess in Navajo that would be called Nahaman. Is it Nehama? or whatever I think that's called Mother Earth Mother yeah yeah I don't know. Nahama yeah, or Namaha okay no, yeah that, that sounds right um, to me who yeah. doesn't know <laughs> <laughs> so I think it, it took me a journey to like actually um, a healing journey more like it, it had like I think when I um, when I first met Andrew like several years back a decade ago like I was a, a completely different stranger person now and it had to deal with healing. And I feel like Bear's Ears is healing. And I feel like mm-hmm. just being exposed to that, um, this movement or this work um, has healed me in the process of what I've now learned are historical traumas in my past, but also what I acquired um, just being born into this earth and like understanding different like reasons why we exist the way we do, but also like going down to the... Navajo long walk Mm -hmm. so like I've learned through this work that um, like Bears Ears was a refuge region for um, bands of Navajos or Diné people that weren't captured Mm. and I think it's amazing to see and if you go through the territory of Bears Ears it's gorgeous it's like desert all the way up to high pines and high mountain tops and there's like beautiful like narrow canyons and I, you just kind of imagine like well our people were so smart like they knew where to they knew to land so well at least the bands that weren't captured and then some were captured but they took the sacrifice so that they could bring the people back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so of course it's known in Navajo Diné history that um, even in this line work you're, I'm here I'm keep saying Diné and Navajo but I realized that like Navajo is a Spanish term, and so like in this line of work, I've um, realized we need to also reclaim not only territorial names of ancestral lands, but also in all lands, but also even of even in what we call ourselves. Like, so you you don't think we should use the word Navajo anymore? I think we should use Diné. Diné. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we should use the full meaning of Diné, which is Nohokat Dien Diné, the Holy Earth Surface People. Yeah. I think that's the full name we should use. For what? For our na- for our nation? Yeah. So change our nation to Nohoka. The end of it. The end of it. The end of it. Yeah. Okay. And that translates to the ho- holy earth surface people. Do you remember when uh, I tried to pronounce that word the first time? Yeah. You in couldn't Flagstaff, say it. I yeah. said the Nahuki people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You were barely learning Navajo. Everybody was laughing at me. They were like, they were. I was like, I was like, because we were, we had that word on the, um, on the, on the. Um, on the chalkboard at NAU. Yeah. And I was like, I was trying to make a point. I forgot what it was. And I was, I said something like, and the Nahuki people. <laughs> <laughs> Nohoka. Yeah. Nohoka. Yeah. That's you, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Not the Nahuki. <laughs> or we could call you that. But. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the Nahuki. So the, this is interesting because the Navajo Nation, which is an official term mm-hmm. uh, of the of the tribal government, yeah. had considered right. a name change legislation. I saw that legislation, yeah. 
to call it Diné Nation or uh, I think that was what the, the legislation was with Diné yeah. Nation. Some of the, our counter arguments were, uh, well, people are going to be confused. Nobody wants to do business with us yeah. if we change our name. Uh, it's going to be too expensive because yeah. we have to change all our letterhead. <laughs> <laughs> that's a ridiculous reason. Yeah. Those are the arguments. So what do you think about that? <laughs> I think that's kind of like, I mean, inaccurate. Like, I feel like if you, I think, and then when I think about it, like, maybe the Navajo is like a negative connotation and maybe that, like, I feel like reclaiming terms like the net or like would empower our people. Like, I feel like it could Im- Im- it heal people, like, if they truly know who they are. And then, like, yeah, growing up, I knew I was Navajo, but I didn't, I wasn't exposed so much from, to the, the life ways is, I guess that's a term I learned at DPI, life yeah. ways. <laughs> um, and I didn't know that. And then it would, took me some trials and tribulations to, like, figure out, like, yeah, you are Dene. And I really credit being a reporter for the Navajo times. Um for grounding me as a person because I learned that I, I love our Nav- Diné people. And um, it just, I learned so many stories and everyone has a story. And through that journey, I just kind of like, yeah, this is, it healed me too. The Diné people healed me mm-hmm. with all their different narratives that I wrote about, or even all the way to council, sports, environmental issues, health issues, um, health topics. And so I think that Navajo... It is Spanish, so we should reclaim that and go with Diné. And the reason why, like, I feel like I was youth at one point, and I did have an identity crisis. Like, I didn't know, like, my how Diné, or what is Diné, what does it mean, or is it just assimilating? And that's probably why I had a fascination with malls at some point, like, you know, like shopping. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I had to debate, I had to decide, I'm not decide it, but you navigate both, like, those those systems or whatever and so like it also not knowing that knowledge or that disconnect made me um second guess my identity or it made me realize well maybe i'm not strong enough or maybe i guess that's where i feel like growing up to now like i feel like that's why there is a huge suicide epidemic among you like there's no they're not connected to land. They're not speaking to the language. They're not connected to ceremony. They would rather assimilate. They don't know whether to call themselves Navajo or Diné, or they probably don't even know that we're called fully Nohokati and Diné. Like, those things, like, they should know. And I didn't know immediately. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to learn that. And, um, of course, there's the boarding school era of my parents and every other generation that is older than us that had to deal with those traumas. And mm-hmm. then if you think about the long walk was only 150 years old, that's yeah. far, but it's still recent memory. So those traumas, I feel like, and I know people don't like the word historical trauma. I don't know what else to call it, but like, I feel like. Who doesn't like that word? I mean, I've heard people like, I don't like that word. Like, yeah. like it's just kind of like, maybe like it, it's, gonna, it's, it's an excuse for the reason why people are uh-huh. the way they are. Maybe that's probably why they, they don't like the term, but. I've come to realize that what we do acquire in our gen- in our body, our biological makeup, like it comes from those those instances. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like since then I've been able to try to <laughs> address each reality each time, and I feel like I've been healed 
for me, my personal experience, I've, that's why I like the work that I do because I feel like the land heals me. Like I'm, I'm learning more about it. Like I'm learning how to plant. Like I'm learning how to advocate for it. I'm like, it all deals with the elements of life and that's mm-hmm. all evident or um, obvious in what it is in Diné culture or, U- or Hopi or Zuni or other cultures that are indigenous to America. And so this is something that your work does and the organization you work with mm-hmm. is trying to work with people to become more grounded in their use of the land, in their, in their sustainability, mm-hmm. in the way they relate with the environment. And going back to what you said in the beginning, where we were saying that the Nef people had a, and other tribes had an understanding of the landscape where they would use certain parts for certain things, right? Right. And go up to Bears Ears for certain kinds of needs, mm-hmm. like firewood or trees or leaves mm-hmm. and those kinds of stuff that you can do up in these higher altitudes. Mm-hmm. And what people don't understand, or non-native people don't understand, is that we have rich historical understandings of the land and the environment and like including Chaco Canyon and the Chusca Mountains that that um, that you you mentioned earlier yeah and so like this is a knowledge and this is a system where we know the boundaries and we know how things should be taken care of but non-natives in their arrogance yeah will want to impose their own definitions and their own quote-unquote freedoms over it and they and that this is a fundamental difference between white people and native people, or I shouldn't put it like that, but like between non-natives coming in to the region and the native people who lived here in the Southwest is that they don't accept the freedoms with responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's something different in our culture where, yeah, you have freedoms. In fact, we're more free than, than the United States has been for mm-hmm. most of its history. We didn't have, we didn't, we didn't flee feudalism or any of those things. But we also have responsibilities mm-hmm. and ways in which we try to maintain and take care of the earth, mm-hmm. not in a new age way, but in a way for sustenance and livelihood. Yeah. So that's something that's interesting that you're pointing out. And then also for spiritual recovery right. and, and emotional and physical yeah. recovery. Correct. That's exactly true. And like I feel like what we're trying to do with Bears Ears, I feel like it's like a model for other, of course, there's the Standing Rock, but there's that movement there, and then there's the Bears Ears, which is completely different. Mm-hmm. And our, ours is UDB, Utah Denebakea's like missions based on healing, and Bears Ears was designated through healing methods issued, prayers issued from um, our spiritual leaders. Mm-hmm. I know that Dene offerings were made to this idea of Bears Ears. That's why. Bears Ears is not occupied the same way it has had been with Standing Rock. Mm. And our board and staff feel that Bears Ears is not going to be a Standing Rock. It's mm-hmm. not going to operate that because when you look at it from a Diné perspective, I feel like it's rooted in blessing way, the good way, the, the protection, the... the the creation narrative of the Nef people. And that's mm-hmm. how that movement started. Mm-hmm. And so we don't... Of course, there's types of healing that include physical, like mm-hmm. when you got to fight. I mean, and then there's spiritual, and then there's mental, emotional, and 
all those realms that consist of healing. And I feel like those are things that we're trying to elevate or share with the major audience, not rest, the rest of America, including Trump, but it's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> they don't seem to understand um, this ideology that we have to, to protect. And of course, it's also, the monument is also designated to oppose any ongoing um, uranium development. Not ongoing, but like the threats of it continually happening in the region. Um, oil and gas, and then um, coal. Mm-hmm. So those are um, parts of the movement, the grassroots organization that I work for, UDB, is against as well. Yeah. But the main, we're in lawsuit as well currently, so we can't, I mean, we can't, there's parts of the proclamation that Obama, language in that proclamation that's being considered in the legal arguments in the case. But since 2015, I know I'm going all over, but 2015, the Bears Years Coalition um, launched launched engagement with the Obama administration. Obama declared Bears Years. Bears Years is originally um, established at 1.9 million acres, and of course, like I mentioned, it was marked at the confluence of the Colorado and um, San Juan rivers, and those are the boundaries that the spiritual leaders want honored. Mm-hmm. And then there's also... Um, there's also, um, then when Obama designated, he designated at 1.35 million acres. So that was a nice, I guess, a good negotiation he had the tribes had to do, and the grassroots had to do with this monument to get it. And um, then Trump came into office, he reduced it to two smaller units, like by 85%. So he named, I think, in an effort to also um, disrupt the united front among the tribes, he named one of the units Shashja, I mean, because that's a Navajo term, and then um, and then the other one, Indian Creek. And so, like, those units are still part of the Bears' year, original, the Obama de- proclamation, but we, at UDB, and in my engagement with anyone, we're like, we still honor the Obama proclamation, not the Trump. Mm-hmm. So those are, like, there's, it's all kinds of moving forces going on at one time or all at all at once and so um when you like alluding to your thoughts i was just thinking about yeah like these the, this narrative and, and when it comes to our partners they like even in communications i do communications for the org it can get complicated because i'm in there i'm like you got to respect native media outlets too like you can't just sure you can love the new york times but like the Navajo Times or even the San Juan Record, some little grassroots organization, like newspaper is just as important mm-hmm. to telling this story. And so we, um, um, there's like other native folks on the comms team that include like UDB, Grand Canyon Trust, the Wilderness Society, Pew, the Pew, I forget what they're called, and then SUA. So we all merge together and talk strategy on comms and like how do we get what's the audience, like, what message are we sharing? And so we still have those education, like, sessions we have to do with our national partners um, to keep Bears Ears relevant. But we have struggles, like, those partners just see Washington Post or New York Times as the only source of information when it's, like, no, like, there's other avenues or other media outlets that are just as important that tell the full strength of this whole story. 
So it's my job now. I've been hired with UDB since February to try to help them with their comms um, strategy. And I feel like I've done some grass, like some movement. I mean, I feel like I've made some progress. Um, but I feel like already they're successful. So like I'm just kind of help them. I don't know how I'm helping them, but I feel like I am. But like for instance, we are engaged with Patagonia and we're, they... Um, they didn't seem to understand why the their campaign when Trump shrunk Bears Ears was wrong mm-hmm. um, because it did say, like, the president stole your land. Yeah. And so, like, Patagonia, even though they're our partner to UDB, yeah. kind of, like, changed the narrative um, on what Bears Ears is all about. So now UDB staff is currently in deliberations with um, Patagonia about, like, telling them like yes you're a meaningful partner but like this is what was wrong with your narrative Mm -hmm. and so I was just in the outdoor retailer last week with colleagues um, engaging with Patagonia about that campaign and like it's kind of hard for them to admit they're wrong Mm -hmm. and so we feel like as long like we're still keeping at it we're still I think that's kind of cool about this capacity that I'm in that like I get to meet these people who are in charge with the messaging of a company mm-hmm. and I think it's still cool that Patagonia even though they did that messaging is still willing to listen to us to find out like why they did wrong in that mm-hmm. in that effort and so that's kind of cool on that front but that's yeah. as a result of that um and then just being in this capacity I've learned messaging like like, like I said Danette earlier I've um colleagues on my team have I felt like we should, we had a summer gathering like two weekends ago, the 2008 Bears Year Summer Gathering, fourth annual at the Bears Year's Meadow. And just being in a job since February, themes of healing kept coming up through my interviews with, that I did with board members, the mission. And so we developed a shirt that is called Bears Year's is Healing. And um, it's $29 shirt. <laughs> it's a partnership with Natives Outdoors um, and a graphic designer. Um, they're both in it and they listened to her and we came up with a cool shirt that we think exemplifies what we're trying to do heal people and um, we um, launched that last week at the outdoor retailer so that is only a week old and people are loving this shirt oh that's great yeah where can you get it Um, at natives-outdoors.org okay um and it's cool because it has a little, like the buttes are in there, and two little bear, a bear and a younger bear, that's supposed to represent the older and younger generation, and it has bears ears is, is healing and the the ne, ute, Hopi and Zuni languages, oh. um, and so that that's important. But I bring up Patagonia just because we're trying to share that message with yeah. them and help them understand. And I bring that shirt up in this conversation because it's important to our messaging as a group. Mm-hmm. And just being on board since February, like I've learned there's some messaging that is wrong. And so as a result, we felt that we needed to create a media, sen- like media sens- uh, um, sensitivity training for reporters. Mm-hmm. And so we had that during the gathering. We had, it was pretty successful. So we want to share those, that media sensitivity guide with Patagonia when we meet them in a few weeks. Do you have that guide on your website? It's still being enhanced because it, it will be uploaded on our website. Um, but it was just like, uh, 
more or less a trial run, and people loved it. Mm. Um, we had lots of different media at our gathering, including Universal Studios, who like oh, tried to grill. <laughs> like this is like this is the real narrative. Like yeah. Patagonia isn't, um, but it was just cool because it's gotten some interest among yeah. reporters and media outlets, and um, it was specific to the gathering. Um, because I know, like, when you become... I was a reporter, so I know... I feel like I know how they operate. They just need information, like, background, general, like, recommended terms to use. And I think just being Native, and you know this, like, there's some sensitive terms that are inappropriate that yeah. need to be addressed. And I feel like that little brochure media guideline helps them help write the correct narrative oh, when good. it comes to yeah. Bears Ears or other ancestral territories. And what's the website? Well, Utah Denepikea is um, utahdenepikea.org. Okay. How do you spell that? U-T-A-H-D-I-N-E-B-I-K-E-Y-A-H.org. Okay. Because there's multiple versions of Kea. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like our website says it doesn't have the high tone E's. But like in our language, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can do a URL with the high tone. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure you can, but like we don't. Or you can go to Utah, um, utahdenet.org or utahnooch.org for the Ute people. So we're trying to like also, and this, this line of work is interesting too, because sometimes the narrative is too, when it's native, too native, or it's native, but it can be too Navajo. So our Dene. Yeah. So, like, I have to also, um, it's my task to make it not so. <laughs> to give it diversity. Yeah, diversity, <laughs> yeah. And that can be a challenge in itself. Well, thank you, Alistair, for spending so much time talking yeah. on this particular issue. I know we could talk about a lot of other yeah. things um, that we've been talking about over the course of the day, including public health, yeah. um, just Navajo politics, etc. But just for the sake of your time, mm-hmm. we'll just, uh, we'll conclude it. Yeah. On this conversation, do you, uh, for now, maybe we can talk again in the future. Do you, um, do you have any last thoughts? Um, thanks for listening, and people should visit Bears Ears, buy our cool shirt, <laughs> and um, definitely um, stay involved, stay connected, follow us, follow um, Bears Ears on Instagram at Protect Bears Ears. Um, of course, we're on social media networks, but just stay involved, stay connected to the land, heal yourselves before you can help other people. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, I should have.